Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. We do not live by bread alone. Great. Thank you, Matt. Our little ones, you guys are dismissed to head down for junior church. Just to remind you, my name is Mark, and uh, I know that we have a few people who, are, who, I, who I don't usually get to see, so we are so glad that you're here. I want to give you a little sense about where we are and what we're doing. Um, we are doing things a little bit differently right during this season, and uh, it's, it's an exciting time. You could think of it sort of this way for this morning. Um, we, a few weeks ago, began a journey, four weeks ago, this is our fifth week, we, we got on the trail. And we're not just doing some little wimpy hike, we are actually doing this, this big hike, and it's taken us over a number of peaks, and during this entire time, we are going to walk uh, an, a mountain range. And we're getting to see a number of different uh, images of, of who God is. Trying to draw together this one path to say, what is the one story of the Bible? If there's this one overarching story, what is it? So that's where we're going, and we are halfway through the journey. And we're not even tired yet. That's the best part. Okay? In fact, I feel like we're kind of gaining some steam. Uh, you guys have been great. The second thing that you need to understand is if you haven't been here in this last few weeks, 
it is going to be a little different. And one of the reasons it's going to be a little different is that we really want you to actually speak and to speak as much or more than I do. We, we, we really believe that God uh, takes his word and also gives his spirit to his people so that when we come together, even the youngest among us may have something to add to this. So we're doing something we call a dialogue. It's an, an opportunity. I'm going to read part of the story and then I'm going to ask some questions. And I want to encourage you to lean in on the Holy Spirit, to lean in on God's word and to be able to talk, to share. If there's a question that comes up, to feel free you know, to be part of this dialogue, be part of the conversation of what we're doing together, okay? You'll catch it. Uh, I promise uh, this is not a test. It's a dialogue. And uh, we've found it to be incredibly uh, hope-giving. And uh, a couple, couple key rules on this. Let me just, not, not only rules, but guidelines at least. One of the things that I'm going to ask you to do is, as we go through, some of us, may know the biblical story of where we're going to be in the next few weeks. You may have gone down this path and you may have hiked this trail before. Don't get ahead of where we are. Okay, let's try and answer the questions out of the story that we hear today. Okay, that's going to be one of our, one of our goals. Everything that we need to learn about God and human beings can be found right here in this story. Second thing that I want to ask you to do is just remember, we have not yet found a system to be able to mic this well. Some of you have loud, booming voices, and that's, that's no problem. Others of you have just wonderful, quality voices that, that we'd really like to be able to hear. And um, sometimes we can't hear you. So, so think through that. You don't need to just talk to me, because I'm not the person that we're talking to. We're actually sharing these ideas with others. So if you're in the front, you may want to turn and kind of face towards others, all right? You may just want to make sure that you're projecting and that you're, you're given that. It helps if you're willing to kind of raise a hand because there's so many people that want to get involved in this that, uh, that that helps me to kind of spread it out and make sure that we're getting a bunch of different people involved. So that's where we're going today. Let me pray for us and then we will begin. Lord, it's amazing to get to look at your story. It's amazing to see the work that you're doing in all the world. And it's amazing to think that out of your great love, you've involved us in this. So I just want to pray for help today, for insight today. I want to pray for joy today, especially as we get to look at Jesus. So work in us today, we pray in your name. Amen. So let's just take a little time here to review and uh, see, for those of you who weren't with us on the trail last week, we want to catch you up. Last week, we saw that God led his chosen people, Israel, out of horrible slavery in Egypt. We saw that he gave them instructions, also known as laws, on how to live in a close relationship with him, how to live in freedom, how to live in a covenant relationship. And God summed up these laws in Ten Commands, and the very first one was the one that kind of covers all of them, wasn't it? And that first one essentially said this, Put me, God, above everything else. Do not worship other things. So that's one of the things that we saw last week. If you, if you weren't here last week, we covered about at least 1,200 years of history in one Sunday. So uh, we, we did it in a pretty timely fashion, too. So we didn't take 1,200 years to speak it. 
Last week we also saw this, though. We saw the people of God continue to rebel against him, calling these laws a new kind of slavery. But he loved his people. And God gave them a system of sacrifice where they could substitute the life and the blood of an innocent animal in place of their own life. The payment that God required for the rebellion of sin. Okay? For rebellion against God. God accepted this, but this was only a symbol of what was to come. So that we saw last week. And then let me also tell you this. Last week we also saw that the people would come to God and worship him when they needed him. But when things were going well, they returned to worshiping other things. This was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But God foretold through the prophets a coming Savior, a Messiah, who would save the people once and for all. So that's where we've gotten to thus far. So let's pick up. If you remember last week at the end, we heard that with those prophets, we heard some prophecies about what the Savior would be like. And then what happened at the very end of that, of that statement? Do you remember? There was a time period. What was the time period? 400 years, right? 400 years of what? Silence. All through the story, we see God coming and engaging people and talking to people. And then last week, we hit a very somber note, a sad note, because at that point, for 400 years, God didn't speak to people at all. We're going to pick up there. Scene number one, the birth of Jesus. 400 years passed since God had spoken to his people. Now, if you need to close your eyes, you know, to kind of just track along with this and, and imagine the story, you go ahead. If you need to close your eyes because you're really tired, you go ahead. If, if, uh, if you need to keep your eyes open to make sure that you don't fall asleep during the story, you go ahead. All right? So I just want to give you some comfort, give you a little, little access here. 400 years passed since God had spoken to his people. The Israelites, called Jews, had been under the control of other nations for hundreds of years. They were now ruled by Rome, the most powerful empire that the world had ever known. The Jews were still waiting and hoping for a king who would come to them and save them and lead them to victory. Finally, God sent an angel to a young woman named Mary in the town of Nazareth. She was engaged to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of King David, a direct descendant of Abraham's. The angel told Mary that she would become pregnant and give birth to God's son, even though she was still a virgin. The angel revealed that this child in her was from the Holy Spirit and would become a king whose kingdom would never end. Sure enough, The next year, Mary gave birth to a son who they named Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. 
Not only did God reveal to Mary and Joseph that this boy was the long-awaited Messiah King, but he revealed it to others too. Angels shouted the news to shepherds, who then ran into town to find the baby Jesus and tell everyone the amazing news. A star guided wise men from distant lands to come and worship and bring gifts to this newborn king. This birth was truly a miracle. Jesus grew up in both height and wisdom, and he was loved by God and by everyone who knew him. All right, so we got that part of the story. Let's ask a couple questions. First couple ones. Yeah, now, kids, I know you guys know this too, so I want to encourage you. You guys have been a real encouragement to us. So, kids, you, you guys feel free to, to jump in. I'll be looking for your hands. All right. What was unique about Jesus' birth? So, again, this is when you guys get to talk. Okay. What was unique about Jesus' birth? Really? I don't believe you guys. There we go. Ben, thank you. Let me go start with Ben. Okay, and uh, those are some big terms, so let's kind of ask a, a couple more questions. What does that mean? Let me ask Gracie. Let's see what she says. Oh, okay. I thought you had your hand up, so I just wanted to check. Okay. Brent, go ahead. and. Okay. All right. So there, there, there wasn't a father, that, a human father that was involved in this, right? Um, let's ask this question then. So who was Jesus a descendant of? Just, okay, yeah, he was. He was a descendant of, of both God and of King David. And also who? Do you remember also, Josiah, who else was in there? Abraham, did your dad help you? That's okay if he did. That's good. That's good. That's what dads do. They help us when we need help, right? So he's a direct descendant of of King David and of Abraham. So what's significant about that? Why is that detail important? People are being kind of shy. All right, we'll catch up. Matt. Yeah, okay, so, so, so that promise, that covenant is being fulfilled. Great, good point, excellent. And, and these prophecies that we were reading about last week that came at least 400 years before, some of them 1,000 years before Jesus, what does this indicate about that? Yeah. How how easy is that? How how many of you did really well on your um, NCAA men's basketball uh, w- when you filled out your brackets? Yeah. How how easy is it to get all of your picks to end up being correct? Not real easy. So so let's just draw a little bit in there. Um, just remember remember some of those some of those types of things. What else did you hear in the story that reminds you of what the prophets said, though, about the Messiah? Because there were other couple, couple things that, that, the, that the prophets had said. What else do you remember about that? We listed about eight 
or nine last week different things. What about where Jesus was born? What, what did the prophets say about where he would be born? Boy, you guys are really reticent today. This is really unusual. Maybe it's because it's so factual. I think, I think the factual side is a little harder. I, I, come on. We got enough, we got enough Sunday school and, and church background here to at least be able to answer this question. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? Okay. Man. Um, so, so in Bethlehem and, and Nazareth, we, we get to see some of those things. Um, why might these things be important? Why is it important to see uh, these factors all come together? Okay, so what does that mean about about the person we're talking about? They were all prophesied, and 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 they came way ahead. Jake. Okay, they were accurate. So those prophecies were accurate. What does it mean about about Jesus? Great. He is a legend. And, and, and what do you mean by that? Okay, right. So it's not that he's a legend as in a, some mystical or, idea or story that nobody believes in, but that actually, right, before they knew it, they were looking for it, and then this, this legend actually came true. So, so we see a, a strong movement. Great, great answer. Okay, People were looking for him. They talked about him. They were waiting for him, right? Good. Yes. Hmm. Right. Because how much control do we have over where we're born? You know, I mean, the, the chances of this happening are, are super slim. But that's so important that we see, Tim. Thanks. That's a great answer. If you didn't hear Tim... It means that Jesus didn't just pick this for himself or simply say, hey, I could, I could be the Messiah and let me use some of these details for my own facts. He, he, this proves that Jesus was unique. It proves that he was who he said he is. This is the factual side that people are always talking about, right? Well, what, is, what does Jesus' name mean? Do you remember from the story? Yes, the Lord is salvation. Lord of what? Lord of who? Okay, everything. I heard it kind of from back there, but I didn't get to see who exactly said it. But, but oh, okay, crazy. So, so everything. So, so who is that? What does it mean, Lord? I mean, that's not a typical term around today, is it? What does Lord mean? Ruler. That's a that's a really big that's a big term. I saw Sonny's hand go up back there, man. I appreciate you trying to get that one too, buddy. I wish I, I I'll be looking for you, okay? I appreciate that. I love when our when our kids are involved in this. What's salvation? Sa- salvation from who? Or or from what? Okay, salvation from ourselves, from the price, the penalty of our sin. Okay, and salvation to what? There's just a lot in this title, isn't there? Salvation to what? 
What do you think people back then thought maybe Lord of, you know, or, or salvation from and to was? Okay, yeah, the bondage of Rome. They didn't want to be slaves anymore. And, and salvation to what? God, being free. Being a free nation. Hmm, kind of interesting, isn't it? Kind of interesting. Well, let's, let's go on um, and, and let's catch this next story. We've got four scenes that we need to go through today. So we're going to jump back into this, this next story. The second scene. Jesus' baptism. And again, we just read about this in Mark chapter 1. God sent a messenger named John to tell people to get ready because the Messiah was coming. John was a distant cousin of Jesus born just six months before him. He was a rugged guy who lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts, wild honey, and he wore clothes made out of camel hair. John boldly challenged the Jews. Don't just say that you love God. Prove it with your life. Turn from your sins and turn to God. He became known as John the Baptizer as he dunked those who had confessed their sins in the Jordan River. Now, baptism was a symbol of being washed clean from your sins and choosing a new way of living. When the Jewish leaders asked John if he was the Messiah... He responded, no, but someone is coming soon who is far greater than me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals or even be his slave. You see, I, I baptize with water, but he will baptize with God's spirit. Soon after that, Jesus came to be baptized. And when John saw him, he said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus insisted. So John baptized him in front of the crowds. When Jesus came up out of the water, God's spirit came down from the sky. It it looked like a dove floating down and resting on him. Then a voice from heaven said, You are my son who I love. You bring me great joy. So let's ask a couple questions of this. What do we learn about John from this scene? Again, some of you young guys can always, Sonny. Okay, yes, he baptized Jesus. All right, wh- wh- what does it mean to baptize? Grace. Yeah, it's this, it's this, it's this action that shows what it's like to, to, to wash away our sins, right? What else do we know about John? Others of you guys can jump in on this. Josiah. Yes, he ate locusts and honey. So we have decided the next potluck. We know what the, what the recipe will be. What else do we know about John? There are a bunch of details in there. Okay, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Let's get some other people involved. This one's easy. This is a softball. It's right over the plate. Just hit it. Who's he related to? Related to Jesus. How much older than Jesus was he? Six months. Okay, we're starting to get on a roll now. We're getting some answers. This is good. I like this. This is what we want to hear about, okay? Uh, Who was he not? He was not Jesus. Okay. But he was also not 
Yeah, Moses. Okay, so let's let's go about this a different way. All right, he's not Moses. He's not Josh either. So he's he was not the Messiah. That was the question that they were kind of asking him. Right? What was John's message? Grace. Absolutely, Jesus is coming, and he is way more awesome than John was. All right. And what was he telling people? What was he calling them to do? Tyler. Yes, he's saying, you say that you love God, don't just talk about it. Don't just talk about it. All right, so, and that's where baptism came in as a, as a sign of that. Why were people coming to be baptized by John? What, what do the stories say? Give this people a chance, Grace, okay? What, what do the stories say? This one's a little harder because it wasn't just that plain old softball type answer. I'll put a little spin on this one. Tim. Yeah, they were coming to repent. They really wanted to repent to, to follow God. And what do you think is significant about God saying to Jesus, this is my son who I love? What's significant about that? Again, don't, don't, you don't have to go too deep on this one. Lisa. Okay, so what is the proclamation? God is saying, this is my son. And, and, and this is a, a, something that other people attest to. So they, they heard, somebody heard to be able to say this. Jesus is the Son of God. And, and since other people got to hear it, what was, what, was, what was God affirming for everybody else? What did they need to know? They needed to know what his identity was, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Ben. Yeah, yeah. So they could really hold on to that and say, wait, we know who this guy is. This is God's son. All right, third scene. Okay, I know we've got a lot of story going on here, but we're going we're gonna to keep going with this, okay? Jesus' temptation. Again, also in um, uh, Mark, we just read, immediately after being baptized, we get more details. Um, we, get, we get more details. Uh, immediately after being baptized... Jesus was led by God's Spirit to go into the wilderness. There, Satan tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. Can can you picture that? During the entire time, Jesus didn't eat anything. And he became very hungry. Satan tried to deceive Jesus, saying, If you are God's Son... Why don't you turn these rocks into loaves of bread and eat? Jesus answered him, no. When God spoke to Moses, he said, people need more than bread to live. They must find their life in the words of God. Well, then Satan took Jesus to the top of the tallest building in Jerusalem. He said, if you are God's son, jump off. 
Your sacred writings say that God will send his angels to catch you and you won't even hit the ground. Jesus replied, Moses also wrote, do not even try to test God. Well, next, Satan took Jesus to the peak of a huge mountain. He showed him all the nations of the world in their brilliance. And he said, I will give you all of this, anything that you want, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Jesus responded, get away from me, Satan. It's commanded. Put God above everything else and only worship him. Then Satan went away and angels came and they took care of Jesus. At this time, he was about 30 years old. Throughout Jesus' life, he never sinned or rebelled against God. He always chose to do what was good and right and perfect. So in your own words, what was Satan tempting Jesus with? Think through those three temptations. In your own words, what was, what was Satan tempting Jesus with? What was he tempting him with? Think back. What was the first temptation? Tyler. Yeah. Okay. So that first temptation involved what? Just to kind of help remind ourselves of, of that. What did that first temptation involve? Ben. Okay, food. Yeah. Because he was hungry. And what was what was it Satan wanted him to do? Josiah. Yeah. Just just make him into bread. And what would be so bad about that? That's a great question. What would be so bad about that? Why is that a temptation? Why isn't that just ingenuity? I think in our day and age, we might think, that's ingenious. What was wrong with that? Becky. Okay. Hmm. So there's a selfish aspect to this, right? There's a selfish aspect as opposed to as opposed to a, an others focused, this would be a a me focused. Huh, where where else do we see a me focused early on in the story? People go from a, a an others focused to a me focus. Seems like back in the very first story when we were in the garden, right? So so he was supposed to trust in what? His own provision for himself, right? Isn't that what Satan wanted him to do in this situation? Don't trust God to provide for you. Take it in your own hands. But who's the, who's the provider? I mean, let somebody else just say, I bet you I, know you, I know you know the answer, but who's the provider? Is that Sonny back there? Sonny. Yeah, so, so Jesus, God, God is the true provider, isn't he? So he doesn't have to look anywhere else. 
It's a really critical point, isn't it? How about the second part? What was the second challenge that came up to him? Tallest building in Jerusalem. And what does he say? Jump. Why? Not out of desperation and not because he was so hungry. It, it, those, those aren't the answers. What was it? Oh, man. No problem. And, and I don't know. How would that look? If you're on the tallest building, there's usually a crowd below. What, what might that kind of signal to them? Grace. Yeah. Does God really care about you? Would, would God really follow through on his promises? And, and what would other people think if they looked and they saw him miraculously saved when he jumped off a building? Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. Man. Direct proof right there, right? I mean, people would be amazed. He'd have a, a, a building jumping ministry. <laughs> but what is that test? What's wrong with that? Let's ask that question. What's wrong with that? Why would he be jumping? Tim. Hmm. Yeah. In essence, he'd be testing his relationship with God. I, I just heard you say that I'm your son, but is that really true? What else are we going to add in, Josh? Uh, actually, Jesus, uh, himself, and yeah. Because who is the trustworthy one? Who is the actual trustworthy one? God is. God is the trustworthy one. He's the only trustworthy one. At least as we've gone through the story, right? Everyone else who makes a promise has failed. So the only trustworthy one that we've seen in the story so far has been God. God is great. So we don't have to be in control, right? So the first one we said that God is good so we don't have to look elsewhere. The second one we see this, God is great so we don't have to be in control. Third one here, the third temptation, what was that? Do you remember? Another high place, but what was he looking at? Grace. Yeah, all the nations of the world. Right on, right. Great answer. Absolutely. Satan says, I will give you all of this, everything you can see. Forget being like American Idol or, or Jerusalem Idol. I will give you the whole world. You'll be global idol. You know, I don't know what that is. But, but what's, the, what's wrong with that? What, where, where, is that where is that out of line when he says, just worship me? Back Okay. And what was it he had to do? What was it that he had to do to get this from, from Satan? Becky. Hmm. 
So this really was tempting. This isn't just like he's looking at this just going boom, boom, you know. There, there, there is a real nature to this, which is really, really tempting. But he really had to. What was the word that Satan used? If you just bow down and what? Worship me. If you just worship me. Which would mean that he would find something greater than himself. Matt, what were you going to say? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Have you have you noticed that before? How, uh, how do you see? Do you, do you do you agree with Matt, or or what would you say to confirm that? Matt's saying essentially that the same temptation, essentially that that Adam and Eve had in the garden, you could almost line those up here with with Jesus in the wilderness. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, this definitely points to the humanity, the realness of Jesus, uh, the gritty, earthy, human part. Okay. Josh. Yeah, so there's there's more there. There's something to be pressed on a little bit. That would be an interesting study, wouldn't it? How similar are these two situations? The way that Satan tempted Adam and Eve and and the nature of the temptation that happened here in the wilderness. That maybe that's why there's such a focus on this. So in the in the bottom line, you know, um how did Jesus respond in this scene to Satan's temptations? Tyler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a real faith, isn't there? A real trust to say what God said about the way that I should live is freedom. Remember we read that? That that God said that the way that I should live is, is where the good life is found. So Jesus' heart response is to say, I'm going to go that way. I'm going to trust that. I'm going to believe that. Um, so let's just ask this question here. What is Satan challenging when he asks Jesus, if you are the Son of God, do this? Great. Okay, he doesn't believe it, but is it just that he doesn't believe it? Or what does he want Jesus to wonder? if he really is the son of God. So where does Satan attack Jesus? His identity. So all of a sudden you see where the first part 
being baptized, what was it God said? I'm speaking to you about your identity. Where does Satan immediately go after? Identity. Identity, right? Um, now, there's a lot probably we could dig into there, but let's ask this question, kind of jump forward a little bit. What are your thoughts about the part of the story where it said, Jesus never sinned or rebelled against God? He always chose to do what was good and right and perfect. What kind of thoughts come up with that? Yeah, is there some authority or is there some strength that Satan had in this time? So that's is that kind of the question that you're kind of looking at? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, that's a great question. Great. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some other tensions there. I guess we got to kind of wrestle with. He was definitely driven out into the wilderness, but apparently there was some some movement on this, and we see though at least kind of I think like Billy said, if anything, it it emphasizes his humanity, right? Because the spirit sits there and says, "Go," and drives him out. Then there's some sense which Satan takes. Now, does it have to be? What do you guys think? The took. So, so maybe it doesn't have to imply total control. Matt, what were you going to say? So it's great to see some different aspects of the story and to think about some parts that we haven't thought about. We need to kind of jump into some other key parts, otherwise I know we're going to run out of time. But think through that a little bit more. And I think one of our key questions is, okay, does Took imply that he had absolute authority or is it like, hey, I took my friend out for ice cream? You know, how did that go? So that's definitely something for us to to think about more. Um, we, We talked a little bit about Adam and Eve at the garden how God challenged, if we, if we think back to the garden, wasn't it the similar type of temptation that, God, that, that Satan brought? Here, here God loved Adam and Eve, but when Satan came to Eve, what did he challenge in her? He challenged her identity, didn't he? God knows that you will be like him if you eat. What's wrong with that statement? 
Let me get someone else, Grace, okay? <laughs> yeah, we already know that they were made in the image of Christ. So he's saying, if you eat, you'll be like him. So, so Satan's going after their identity about who, who they were. Satan's scheme is always the same here. He twists God's original words around and challenges our identity in Christ. Challenges our identity about who we are in God. Okay. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So there's this promise, this long-run outcome, and, and maybe there was a shortcut of how we get there. Anyone else in the story remember that happening with? Okay, Sarah and Abraham, right? Long-run outcome, promise, Oh, shortcut answer. Let's just, we got to help God out of this situation. So it'll be very normal. We see in the story, there's a lot of ways that we, we tend to go towards this. Josh. Yeah. Yeah, great point, because that's what we saw last week, is that this is the human tendency for all human beings <laughs> to go this direction. And then weigh that, contrast that then with the statement, like we said, Jesus never sinned or rebelled against God. He always chose to do what is good and right and perfect. That good and right and perfect, who else have we said that about so far? Who's the only one that we've said always does what is good and right and perfect? God. Okay. From what we've seen and learned about human beings so far, have we ever seen this anywhere else? No. How, how, how have human beings done at managing good and evil, right and wrong? They went and they bought this, right? <laughs> they bought the tree. They wanted the power over right and wrong, good and evil. How have they done so far? What's your, what's your assessment of, of how well that's gone? Somebody go ahead and speak. I know we're all thinking the same thing, but how, how, how well has that gone? Let me get somebody else. Horrendous, okay? What else will we say? Jake. Oh, okay, I thought you were answering. Just All right. What's that? Rotten to the core. Human beings have not done well with this. But, Libby. Epic fail. Excellent, excellent. Epic fail when it comes to our ability to balance, to juggle, right and wrong. I mean, that's just what we've seen as we've looked through this so far. But Jesus is human. That's what we read. How, how can this be possible? How can Jesus not be epic fail? Um, Jameson. Okay. 
we know that only God does what is good and right and perfect. And only God has the ability to manage good and evil perfectly. Jesus would have to be God. And he's God's son. So it only matches, right? That that flows through him. He's both God and man. He's not just a man. Really critical for us to see this. Even though Jesus was sinless, why was he baptized? He didn't need to do it, John said, right? Why was he baptized? And this one's a little brain stretch. Tyler. Yeah. So everything God called us to live out as human beings, Jesus lived out. He did it faithfully. But there's also another reason in there. Matt, did you did I see your hand go up? Yeah. So it emphasizes that 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 um, God side of him, but what else does the baptism emphasize, Tim? Mm. Wow, huge! The purpose of baptism isn't just to say, "Wow, I admit I'm really bad." It's actually a new a new identity that flows out of it, Josh. Yeah, it hasn't happened. Mm. So that that's he's a new Adam. He's another another uh, another part to the story. A whole new people coming through Jesus, just like through Adam. This is a great part. We've got we to jump through here because we've got one more scene to get through. Um, but let me ask these questions because these kind of get back towards us. And I would like you to kind of think through this and, and answer it. So, so baptism identified also, just don't forget, with his sinful humanity, that he really was human. That's the other part of this. It's just to say, hey, I really am human. I still need to be baptized. Uh, uh, this is part of who I am. Let's ask this question. How well do you do? At choo- always choosing what's good and right and perfect. <laughs> I hear laughter. That kind of answers it. Grace. Okay. Okay. 
even when we want to be, right? Even when we try to be, um, how well does this go for us? It doesn't go well. Just share a little bit more about that, Jeff. Why? What, what, what happens? We have lots of good intentions. But they don't always turn out. I mean, we could always just ask, how are your um, New Year's resolutions going? Uh, right? How about, how about this? What then do you think enabled Jesus to do this? What enabled him to live this way perfectly? Maybe let somebody else grace Don. He's totally submissive to what God wants in his life. Jeff, he has no sin nature. So even though he's human, he's completely different. Anything else to add to that? Nope, go ahead. Okay. Okay. That's why Satan kind of had to point to things outside of him because there wasn't anything inside of him that would, would tempt him tempt him there. Sarah. Okay. So he is quantifiably different than we are. He's fully God. What we're saying is Jesus is God. That, that's what I'm hearing. There's, there's something uniquely different about the whole nature of Jesus than there is about my nature or your nature. All right. So one more uh, story here to, um, to run through. And this one's brief, but it's critical to all this. So uh, scene number four, disciples. Not long after that, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he yelled out, look, there is God's Passover lamb. He'll take away the sins of the world. God showed me that he's the Messiah that we've been waiting for. God's own son. And as Jesus walked along the sea, he told some of John's followers, come and follow me. From then on, Jesus surrounded himself with a few close followers called disciples, showing them how to live in the ways of God. Then Jesus traveled throughout the area, meeting in marketplaces and homes and Jewish synagogues, teaching people God's ways. He brought a new message to them, saying, The kingdom of God has come. Now turn from your sins and turn to God. Full of the Spirit's power, Jesus healed people with every kind of sickness and disease, and news spread quickly about him. And huge crowds began following him wherever he went. People traveled from miles away to be near him and to see the amazing miracles that he performed. Why do you think John said, Look, there is God's Passover lamb? 
Why do you think he used that term? Yeah, he takes away the sin of the world. What story is he going back to as we follow the story? Ben? Yeah, that powerful story. Okay. Okay. You know, he's, he's identifying him, saying, remember the story. Remember your history. Go back in time. Remember when, when, when the death angel went through the camp and the firstborn uh, son of every family, of every animal, would be killed unless the blood of a sacrificial substitute was on the doorframe. So he, he's, he's thinking through. And, and do you think people caught that reference? Do you think people did? Okay. What do you think? How, how many th- do you think during that time would have caught that reference? Would, would a lot of people or not so many people? It's hard to tell because this was still a very Jewish culture. And many, many, many people would show up at Passover. So they were indoctrinated. It's, it's, it's not quite like New England where we sit there and go, hey, I know stuff about the Bible. And people are like, wow, I don't know anything about that anymore. I've never heard of that. It, it seems like culturally there would have been some touchstone. So I wonder, I wonder if there wouldn't have been quite a few people who went and went, oh, I remember that story from Sunday school. Or I, we celebrate that. So there was some sense to which um, people would, would catch that. The implications, though, of that claim, like Ivan said, is what? What was Jesus' life for? Tim. Right, so they might have caught, hey, Passover. I know about Passover, but they may have totally missed how Jesus fits with the Passover lamb. So maybe that really would, would confuse them. Right. Absolutely, you're right. Good, good, right. That was Luke 4, right? Where, where, you know, he's reading Isaiah, people, boy, they knew that prophecy. They were excited about that. So, so there was at least a, an overwhelming sense. But they probably did miss this concept, though, of really understanding this is what he means. And, and we'll get, you know, maybe some glimpses of that other, other times. Where in the story today did we see God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, mentioned? This kind of jumps to another topic. Where, where in the story did we see the Holy Spirit mentioned? Think back. We've, we've gone through four, four scenes. There, there are a couple different times. So let, let's name a couple of those. You get... Okay, I had a couple people put their hands up and then they all put them down. Okay, at the baptism, clearly we see the Holy Spirit there coming in the form of dove. What else? Where else do we, what do we see? Tyler. Okay, conception. Jesus' conception. All right. Led by the Spirit into the, you know, actually, yeah, literally driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be, to be tempted. 
And where else? There was one other place that we mentioned it. It was this last story, this last scene. So it may have been harder to one to catch up on. What was he doing? Why were people coming from all over at the end? Right. He's by the by the power of the Spirit, healing and doing miracles, right? So that's the, the fourth time where we see that clearly mentioned, okay? Where do you think Jesus got his power to do miracles? Josiah. From God, right. The Spirit of God that descended on him, right? The Holy Spirit. That's where he was empowered to be able to do these miracles. Uh, what, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit? Because we haven't talked too much about the Holy Spirit so far in the story. But we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit in the story, don't we? What do you learn about the Holy Spirit today? Okay. He is the source of power for Jesus to do everything God's called him to do. Elisa? Okay. Present. There. Even leading, right? Even leading, walking along. Felix? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know we're gonna assume that we don't get to see that as clearly, but he does he does bring that truth out. He he evidences that truth. Um, what else do we see about the spirit? There's one other kind of just important thing, Vicky. Yeah, who decided that plan? God the Father did, right? So, so who leads the Spirit? God the Father sends the Spirit, right? So, so what we see is just, we, we see some of these realms here. Um, last, almost last question. What, what do we learn about Jesus from the story, if you think through all four scenes? What are just some of the things that we, we learn about Jesus? We can kind of rattle these off. Josiah. Okay, he never sinned. What else do we learn about Jesus in these stories? Josh. But he was really, really, really tempted like we are. What else? Great. Okay. He, he didn't have to go get his powers, okay? All right. Excellent. Excellent. What else? He, he's faithful to the Father. What else? Sarah. He's God's son, and God loves him. God loves him. Tim. He came to fulfill prophecies. Awesome. Great. Ben. Okay. Get a real sense, don't we, that, that there's something that he came to do, and, and we, can, we can see that pretty clearly, that he came, he came to die. Great. Excellent questions. A couple, couple last questions here. If what we learn today about Jesus is true, how does or should it affect your life? We can't take time to really run this through, but I, I would love to have you guys talking about this in the car. I'd love to have you talk about this around the table or at Maine Maple Sugar Sunday gatherings, you know, while you're stuffing yourself with cotton candy made out of maple sugar. 
These are kind of things you could talk about, but what difference? Someone, someone give me an idea. If what we talked about today is true, how does or should it affect your life? Give us, give us an idea. Let me let's give someone else a chance real quick. Here. Joe. Okay. We should want to spend our time with him. Let's, let's ask a second question that kind of goes along with this. How would it affect us as a community? So how would it affect you? How would it affect us as a community? If what we learned about Jesus today is true, how would that affect us as a community? Are there any needs that are too big for Jesus? I kind of expect a little more of a, a reply on that one. Lisa. Okay, I don't know if you heard Lisa, but what, you know, essentially what she said was since Jesus really lived a self-sacrificial life for the good of others, wouldn't that move us as a community to live the same kind of way? And yet, is that always the picture we get of, of community? Is that always the picture we get of even the church? But it should be. Wouldn't that affect us that way? I don't have to live for my own good anymore. I can actually live for your good. We... we there's, there, I'm sure there's some other great answers out there. How would it affect others, though? How would it affect our neighborhood? How would it affect our city? If what we learned about Jesus today is true, how would it affect this community? I mean, there's a lot of information in there, isn't there? Jake, do you want to? Oh, okay. What a great husband. Yeah, there'd be a lot of joy. And relief from what? Okay. Okay. There'd be a lot of joy. Jesus doesn't come across as real brooding, does he? You know, grumpy and and he comes across as joyful, attractive. Yeah, first realist. <laughs> okay, the first realist. Yeah. Do you think anybody in our community struggles, kind of like Jeff said, with wanting to do the right thing but not doing the right thing? Do you think that bothers anybody? Does it bother you? I know it bothers me. Doug. Yeah, yeah. So for some people who are being crushed or, or, or beat down by Satan, to to find out what their real identity is in Christ. Yeah. Okay. Great. That would make a totally different place. 
so much. So many good things. Thanks for being part of this. Uh, on your way out, we've got this um, walking it out handout, and I want to encourage you just to stop by. Pick that up. It'll just further your conversations. Our time is up. We need to get done here. Um, but I just want to thank you for, for being part of this uh, with me. And well, next week, we're going to pick right up with Jesus.